Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnKelly.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Castro Motor Oil, and by Budweiser. Lots of stuff to get into in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. Just a reminder, the number, if you're interested, is 732-364-3598. Could be part of the program if you want to get comment on Facebook Live or Periscope. You could also, in the, the example of YouTube Premiere, you could also send a comment. Let me know anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. So thank you, everybody, as always, for tuning in. Um, for a couple things we're going to hit up. You know, if you saw the title of the program, I did want to talk a little bit about the uh, WBO heavyweight championship which has existed since 1989 and there's some interesting things to talk about because there's a lot of times it hasn't acknowledged some of the best or most dominant heavyweight champions that we've seen in the last whatever 20 30 years so i think it's something that you know doesn't get spoken about enough and remember in the day and age of the 80s going into the 90s where the world heavyweight champion was considered to be a group of different people. It wasn't one straight heavyweight championship. Of course, if you go back in the history of the sport, you know that you know, there really was one champion that was defined. And really the first time that there was more than one champion defined was when Muhammad Ali was exiled from the United States and was not allowed to be the heavyweight champion. He had his championship taken away. So boxing acknowledged a different champion, even though Muhammad Ali never really lost it in the ring. And since then, you got, what, about five different heavyweight divisions that at some point have, have all recognized different champions. So we will talk about that. There's a, a play that happened the other day that I'm going to give a little bit of a different point of view on, involving the designated hitter to removal of the DH. Um, great time to talk about the baseball training deadline. I think it's I think it's a, a time where you know that there's probably going to be a lot of movement. You know that with the hard deadline being August 1st, knowing that there can't be any transactions made after that time between two teams, that teams are going to make sure that they use the next couple days to evaluate where they are, but also may not necessarily want to pull the trigger on a deal that they would have in years past. Now, there's two sides of it, obviously. Why wouldn't you make a trade if you weren't sure that you knew exactly what your season was about? You could be defined as a seller right now, but if you're held to this deadline and, hey, you have a good couple weeks, especially in the National League, then the selling off of your players may not necessarily help you. But the other side of it, of course, is that, hey, if you're going to make a decision, you better make it now because you're not going to have the month of August to, to do it. So, like you said, if, if any of that interests you, throw me a comment. Obviously, you can give the show a call, 732-364-3598. But the first thing that we're going to start off talking about is one of the things that I believe gets lost in the world of sports. And I think it's, it's something that needs to be discussed, and it needs to be discussed a little more often than it is, is really the separation between sports and life. And if you want to throw the word politics in there, and anybody that has followed the show knows that 
I refuse to get into politics. I refuse to acknowledge politics. I look at politics in the United States of America as really two distinct terrorist groups, two domestic terrorist groups that are dividing the nation and its people. That's as far as I'm going to talk about it. I'm not, trust me, I'm not going to bore people with, you know, philosophy in regards to politics because I don't care about it. Like I said, there, to me, is there's a separation between sports and the rest of one's life. And it doesn't get spoken about that much because, you know, everybody feels the need to say, hey, this is me. This is what I stand for. This is what I'm about. And maybe Mariano Rivera, when he was, you know, doing his Hall of Fame speech last Sunday, was trying to say, hey, this is what I'm about. And he's got the right to feel that way. And if you are a writer or a fan and your opinion of Mariano Rivera changed because of what his political beliefs are, then shame on you. Because that's not the person that was being inducted in the Hall, the hall of Fame. Some people may go as far as saying, hey, you know, it's not a Hall of Famer, you know, because of his political beliefs. And it, it's crazy to see that people really do think that way. And I do think that there does have to be a separation between not just sports, but entertainment in general. If you love listening to music, if you love watching movies... If you love sports, what do they all have in common? That's the sanctuary that you choose to take from the other aspects of life. And life can be tough, whether it's in an individual or personal standpoint. You could have things going rough for you. You could have things going rough for your job and your personal life and your family life. You may not necessarily be happy with your life. But you go to entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's movies, whether it's you know, programming, whether it's the world of sports, any particular sport that you may follow, maybe one specific sport, right? It may not be all sports. A lot of sports fans are fans of one particular sport and kind of stay away from other things that happen in the world of sports. Obviously, my sport is baseball, but, you know, I've grown into the other aspects of sports in general, and I use it similarly to the way a lot of other people do as a sanctuary away from the thoughts and other things that I may think or I may be involved in and do. And I do think it's a responsibility of the media and of people that are involved in sports. Yes, you want to support your causes. You want to help children. You want to do anything in a positive way, especially if it's meant in a positive way. I say go for it. I'm not telling you you know, to stick to sports 100%. And that narrative which was out there, and you know, it's been spoken about within the last, you know, three, four years, especially around the time before the presidential election, after the presidential election, the whole stick to sports movement is the fact that people that are viewing, whether it's a little program like this or anything on a national level, whether it's a game, whether it's a, a national program, they're viewing you and watching you because of their interest in sports. They're not interested in your the, the other parts of your life. Now, from an athlete standpoint, from a media person standpoint, you may have other things that interest you, but if you define yourself as being in a realm of sports or being in a realm of movies or music, you got to understand that your biggest strength, your biggest draw to your audience is whether it's sports or music or entertainment. You're there to entertain. 
You know, and you, you hear people at, you know, these, you know, whether it's the Oscars or any of these different things trying to throw their political beliefs in there. People aren't viewing those events to hear what people's political views or any views that they have that aren't in relation to what it is that they're there and put up on that stage for. In fact, they're on that stage because they're being recognized in a lot of cases, sometimes for things that they just did or you know, whether they're presenting awards, maybe it's because of things that they've done over the last, you know, 20 to 30 years. And people are there because they're acknowledging them for that, not because of anything else that they say. So when we talk about the stick to sports narrative, it's not telling anybody that is an athlete or anybody that covers sports that they can't have any opinions that are not online with what sports are. It's that the general public is not viewing them or listening to them or reading their tweets because of anything else that doesn't have to do with the world of sports. Same thing for an entertainer, whether it's an actor or somebody in a television series. When they speak, their fans want to hear them talk about what it is that they do for a living. You know, an artist that's, you know, making, you know, sell millions and millions of albums or downloads or whatever. That person's fan base wants to hear their music or wants to hear them talk about their music. And I think it, it's something that, unfortunately, it sounds a little corny to talk about. It sounds like it could be a waste of some people's time. But there's a lot of people out there that don't seem to understand that. And it's not telling them that their opinions about anything else that doesn't have to do with sports or entertainment or music aren't important. But if you're going to, whether it's as a young athlete moving up in the world or a young voice as you're looking to get better and be out in front of a group of people, you identify what your audience is. I identify that my audience is people that are interested in things that go on in the world of sports. They may be on to argue with me. They may be on to disagree with my opinions. They may be on you know, just to, to, to talk about how corny my tie is that I'm wearing. But the draw to it is the fact that I talk about sports on my show. And that would be the same thing if somebody was doing a political show and you'd have a fan base, whether it's people that like you or don't like you, that are drawn to you because you decide to talk about your political beliefs. Same thing applies to, like I said, an athlete. An athlete has worked so hard to get up to the professional level. Most of the athletes that are successful in the world or sports are there because they want to be. And their fans are out there to watch them play, or if they're going to listen to them talk, they want to hear them talk about what it is that they do. And that's that's the thing that I, I just don't understand, why people feel the need. Like it's such a necessity to have to go out there and say, hey, I'm this or I'm that. That's great. But what are you defined for? What is your audience coming up there to do? It's like a comedian going out on a stage. you got a sold-out stadium. You're one of the funniest people in the world, and you, you go up there, and instead of telling jokes, instead of making people laugh, instead of doing what you're supposed to do by showing up on that stage and that audience that has paid for their, you know, their own money for tickets to watch you make them laugh, you're going to go out there and talk about your feelings about stuff. You know, do we understand that there is a separation between whether it's sports or entertainment and life, and that these things are out there and God created them because it's a sanctuary 
to get people away from things that you know may not be so well. Life isn't perfect. Life could be great. Life could be bad. For most of us, you know, life is somewhere in, in between. But when we choose our entertainment, whether it's sports or you know movies or music, we're trying. We're doing it with the thoughts of escaping from the regular crap that we have to deal with in here all the time. And I just wish more athletes would understand that, more entertainers would understand that, more people that cover, whether it's sports or entertainment, would just understand that that's what they're there to do. Just a reminder that this copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express, written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and John Pielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial other use of the program, especially by charge and admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So there was a play, or actually an inning the other day, between a game with the Boston Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays, and the thought of it was, oh my God, Angel Hernandez is the home plate umpire. What is he screwing up right now? And I'm here to tell you that I actually think the umpires did a good job the other day. Now, for those that aren't familiar, um, Kevin Cash, the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, decided to make a series of changes in within an inning that manager Alex Cora of the Boston Red Sox disagreed that they were done properly and ended up protesting the game. Now, we'll see as the protest goes up to Major League Baseball, and there's very few protests in the history of the sport that end up you know, working. I think the last one, if I'm not mistaken, was 1983 during the famous Pine Tar game where it was determined without a doubt that the umpires there acted irrationally by calling George Brett out. You could throw him out of the game for the use of illegal equipment or not abiding to the Pine Tar rule, but there was no way you could reverse a play that happened. So unless it's something that's that dramatic, you're not going to see a protest and end up you know, working or reversing the actions of a previous game. So that being said, Alex Cora's gripe was the fact that Tampa Bay chose to not just remove their designated hitter, but replace their designated hitter with two pitchers that one of them is going to be playing the field and one of them was going to pitch. So they forfeited the use of the designated hitter with their decision to bring a pitcher in a game and remove a fielder from a position at first base. Now, you have to think very deeply into this, and there's parts of what Alex Cora, you know, his interpretation of, of, of the rule that make a little bit of sense. Usually, the removal of the DH in the American League, which we know at some point in all Major League Baseball, we're going to have the designated hitter. It's going to be in the National League. It's something that's inevitable, something we're probably not going to be able to avoid. And it'd be a surprise to see another two or three years go by without a universal designated hitter in all of Major League Baseball. Now, that being said, if, if you have a designated hitter in there, let's say Austin Meadows was a designated hitter, which he was in this particular game that we're talking about, and Meadows would leave the bench as we hit the halfway point here in the past ball show. Glad to be with you as always. He goes to play the field, whether he goes to left field or first base or right field. The team, in this case the Tampa Bay Rays, would forfeit the use of the designated hitter, which is 
something that you know team you you'd want, you don't want your pitchers hitting, especially in the American League where the pitchers aren't trained to hit, not expecting to hit. But if the Rays decided that they wanted to put their designated hitter in the field at any point of the game, they forfeit the use of the designated hitter for the rest of the game. Now, what makes this situation a little bit interesting, and it is, it's 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 fun to talk about because it's something you don't see very often. They're taking their designated hitter out of the game because they're bringing in a pitcher. They're taking their pitcher, who is on the mound, but being hit for, and moving him to first base. So that's like the designated hitter going to play first base. And that is the way that it should have been interpreted. That's the way Angel Hernandez and his crew interpreted it. And that's why Alex Cora is not going to win in his protest. That pitcher was essentially the designated hitter. The designated hitter is just being abolished. It's not going to be used in the rest for the rest of the game. So that pitcher who is represented by the designated hitter is moving over to play first base. So once he does that, the designated hitter is out. The first baseman has to come out of the game. You could bring in a pitcher to take the place of the first baseman that's there. So the pitcher is in the lineup. The, the pitcher that's playing first base is in the lineup. And the Tampa Bay Rays, for whatever reason, let's say they would have come up to plate, would have two pitchers in their lineup. And something that, you, like I said, you never really get a chance to see and you don't understand in a lot of cases why somebody would do that. Obviously, in a Rays case, they wanted the right-hand pitcher to come in and face one batter. They wanted to use the left-hand pitcher, Kolarik, who they moved to first base to face the next batter. And then they, they bring in another position player to play first base. Kolarik's out of the game. Now they got to go through the rest of the game without the use of the designated hitter. But I do think that we, we look at Angel Hernandez and the reputation that he has and his silly insinuation that people don't like him because they, you know, they're racist. People don't like him because he doesn't do a good job as a Major League Baseball umpire. I thought he conducted himself well here. And in fact, as Alex Cora is going back and forth with him, you would expect Angel Hernandez to say, hey, let me go throw somebody out of the game. He didn't do that here. He listened. I thought he did his job correctly. And I hate to say it, for all the people that hate Angel Hernandez, I actually think he did a good job in handling this situation. He interpreted the game according to its rules, where there was a little bit of a dispute, which I get, but actually handled himself in a right way. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability you will find in no beer at any cost. So thinking about the Hall of Fame, and obviously congratulations to all those that were inducted. Um, Jason Stark, a great writer for ESPN for all those years, very well deserved, and obviously the players. You could start with Mariano Rivera and Edgar Martinez and Roy Halladay. And, you know, think about their impact on the game of baseball. Mike Messina, the career that he had, how many games over 500 he was. And, you know, Messina maybe not have been one of the best pitchers in baseball, may not have been a holiday at any point of his career, but was still very consistent over the course of his career. And I don't have a problem with him being in a Hall of Fame. Lee Smith getting in, I think was great. I was pushing for Smith for a couple of years. The best closer of his time was up there with Fingers and Suter and Goose Gossage and guys like that. And all of a sudden gets a different type of perception because he happened to be around when 
baseball relievers went from pitching two or three innings to one inning. That wasn't his fault. That wasn't his decision to go from pitching multiple innings, which he did in the early part of the 1980s, to one inning for the latter part of his career. That was a change in the game of baseball, which he was being penalized for. And there's a lot of knocks that are, of people that are looking at Harold Baines and saying, hey, he was a good player. He had a long career. He lasted for a while. There's nothing that jumps out and makes you think that he is an absolute no-doubt Hall of Famer. And I think it's unfortunate because I think there's a lot of people like Antonio La Russa, like many others associated with the game, that followed Harold Baines and realized he was a pretty good player. Now, what has happened, unfortunately, and this is no disrespect meant towards Harold Baines, is baseball has chosen to water down its Hall of Fame through its Veterans Committee, and in some cases through its writers, because of its exclusion of players in the past, whether it's Pete Rose or Shoeless Joe Jackson, whether it's anybody that was involved during the steroids era. Once again, you look at steroids as they were being used in baseball, we don't know when they originated. Did they start in the 70s? Did they start in the 60s? Were they kept under wraps for a certain amount of time? How many players are in baseball's Hall of Fame right now that use steroids. This is all information that if it gets put out there, it's going to change the dynamics of the judgment of players and whether they should be in the Hall of Fame. So the bottom line, there is a ton of players out there in Major League Baseball that are being held out of its Hall of Fame as we speak. And you, know, you can talk about steroids, you can say they were cheaters, but once again, when you're acknowledging players in any sports Hall of Fame, you're not necessarily going to put in the best guys. And if you look at hockey and you look at football and you look at basketball, it's Hall of Fame all have the same thing in common. It's all the best players and the best people and pioneers and coaches that existed in the history of the sport. Baseball has changed. Like I said, you could say, hey, gambling, sign up on every clubhouse door. You gamble, you're out especially with the 1919 Black Sox. You may want to feel bad for Joe Jackson. Okay. You know, maybe he's a guy that could be put in a Hall of Fame, you know, years later. The guy's been dead for, what, 60-something years. You know, Pete Rose chose to gamble on the sport that had a very distinct rule against betting on that sport. Still doesn't hide from the fact that he had more hits than anybody in baseball history. And in fact, if you look at it, one thing really doesn't have much to do with the other. So the other aspect that we always talk about, we say cheaters, cheaters, they, they destroyed the game. You know, they destroyed all of our sacred records. The guys that, you know, use steroids over the course of their career. Once again, those are all valid points. If we knew for, as a, as a fact, who did and who didn't. And if we knew, as we're inducting people in the hall, into the Hall of Fame, and like I said, I'm going to throw some random names out here, and I'm not here to knock them. I'm not there to shoot or take any shots at the validity of whether they use performance-enhancing drugs or not. But you could ask Frank Thomas. You could ask Mike Piazza. You could ask Pedro Martinez, Reggie Jackson, Ricky Henderson, Jim Tomey. These are guys that there was never any suspicion around them to say that they did use performance-enhancing drugs, but there's also no proof that they didn't. 
So the same reason that you're using to hold other players out, you're not questioning anybody that has gotten in. And if we knew as a definitive fact that there wasn't a Hall of Fame baseball player that did not use performance-enhancing drugs at any point over the course of their career, then I think we'd have more of a jurisdiction or a right to hold out the players that we do. But we don't. And at some point, you're going to have to acknowledge the best players to play over all areas of baseball. And that's why the Veterans Committee was put out there to remember players or maybe unearth some stuff that happened in regards to players that we may not know. That's what historians are out there to do. That's what research has gone out there and helped over the course of time. But when we're talking about players that did steroids, there's this divide that exists that says, you know, for those people that are against players that did steroids, I just want you to be able to tell me something that maybe I don't know. Who in the Hall of Fame used performance enhancing drugs? What's the impact on amphetamines, which are now banned from the sport, on players that played before? Did it enhance their performance at all? Was there any proof that players in the 70s may have been using a little more than just greenies? Because now we look at amphetamines and they're almost judged the same way as performance enhancing drugs. And I understand the, pe the people that will look at amphetamines as different, which they are, but they obviously provided some sort of advantage for those that use them. Enough of an advantage that the sport does not allow them right now. And I think that's very important. It was enough of an advantage, maybe not as distinctive an advantage as using something that you know they used to inject horses to make them run faster, but it was enough of an advantage that the sport has abolished the use of it. Players that use greenies, like I said, unless it's a you know ADHD medication and you need a a letter written to the commissioner's office and you have to be approved for the use of it. They're banned from the sport. So they had to have some impact on some of the players that played during their time. And the players that knowingly and willingly and admitted to using them, are they cheating too or were they cheating? And cheating as it exists in the sport of baseball goes back forever. And I'm not going to talk about spitballs and, you know, cork bats and, you know, Anything that a player can do to give themselves an advantage, but it exists since the inception of the game. And we're going to all of a sudden look at steroids and say that this is the worst thing somebody can do in a sport that did a terrible job overseeing what was going on. If baseball did a better job of instituting drug testing in the 80s or the 70s, like it probably should have, we may have more of a distinct understanding of who used and who didn't use. Instead of making it a court of public opinion saying, well, you know what, I heard that they may have done something. It's time to acknowledge the best players that ever played in the sport. And going back to the point that I made before, when it comes to Harold Baines. And Harold Baines is a nice guy, he's a very good player, and you know what, for the rest of his life, and after his life's over, he's always going to be acknowledged as a baseball Hall of Famer. But the Baseball Hall of Fame is getting watered down because of the court of public opinion and the fact that baseball is the only sport in this country that is holding back 
the best players to ever play in its generation and eliminating them from consideration for the sport's highest honor. And because of that, because we have to have Cooperstown every July, we have to acknowledge some players. And because the best players in this generation are not getting in for a handful of different reasons, there are other people that need to be given this award. And in a lot of cases, these are players that don't have the talent or didn't have the on-field accomplishments that the other players had. And it's unfortunate. And is baseball going to do one of two things? Either start acknowledging the best players that ever played in its sport and putting it in its Hall of Fame, or continue to water it down by putting really good players, but not Hall of Fame caliber players, in. And I hope over the course of time, we can get something that's pretty similar to what you see in the NFL every year. There's a handful of, of players from different generations that end up getting put in. And I would go and forget about the writer's ballot, forget about the Baseball Writers Association of America, and start putting the players that belong in its sport, that accomplish more than anybody else in its sport, in the Hall of Fame, where they belong. That means Barry Bonds. That means Pete Rose. You know, I mean, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa. How about some pioneers like Marvin Miller? If you put any commissioner in baseball's Hall of Fame, including Bud Selig, which I don't have as much of an issue with Bud Selig being in the Hall of Fame. I thought he was part of the problem, unfortunately, when, you know, steroids kind of comes to a head while you're the commissioner of a sport. It doesn't mean that you're in favor of it but you still were there at a time where these things were running rampant in the sport. Now, Bud Selig is given credit for the institution of the drug policies that they have, and I think the game has grown and come a long way. But he was still there. Marvin Miller, for what he's done for the sport, the fact that he is not in baseball's Hall of Fame is an absolute joke. So we can talk about gambling, we can talk about steroids, but what, outside of the politics that are involved in baseball, from the owners to the commissioner and the basically holding up one side of the spectrum against the players, what is the reason that Marvin Miller isn't in baseball's Hall of Fame? Dr. Frank Job and his procedure on Tommy John, which we know now as Tommy John surgery, has some, is something that has changed the lives of many thousands and thousands of pitchers in Major League Baseball and position players as well. Without this operation, without this ability to perform this surgery, so many other careers would have washed up and been done. There are players in baseball's Hall of Fame that had Tommy John surgery. There are some of the best pitchers in the sport right now that have had Tommy John surgery. Their careers would have been at a crossroads if it wasn't for Dr. Frank Job. Why is he not in baseball's Hall of Fame? Ted Turner. And it's, this is a little more of a you know individual case you can make. Cable television, putting baseball on TBS, the Atlanta Braves, just a, a, a run-of-the-mill baseball team, but was the start of cable television in regards to baseball, baseball on cable TV, before the days of ESPN. George Steinbrenner, you may like him, you may hate him. You know, certainly a controversial owner as it applies to Major League Baseball, Charlie Finley. So there's a lot of people that are involved in the sport that are not in, and I think there should be a committee put together where we start acknowledging the best 
representation of what baseball has been. And like I said, it's not about the Hall of Saints. It's not about every individual person be put on a trial of the court of public opinion. Because you know, every time somebody is in uh, on a trial in regards to the court of public opinion, they lose. The court of public opinion always wins. But it's time to start acknowledging some of the best representation of what baseball has been. Like I said, not from a saint perspective, but the impacts of a Marvin Miller, a Frank Job, a Ted Turner, a George Steinbrenner. And then players that were implicated in steroids like Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Roger Clemens. And then there's other baseball players that are still being held out for whatever reason. Kurt Schilling. We opened the show talking about people's opinion about politics. If Mariano Rivera was as devout of a conservative as Kurt Schilling proved himself to be throughout his career, he probably wouldn't have gotten 100% of the vote. He wouldn't have been voted in unanimously. And there literally would be people out there who would try to explain why Mariano Rivera is not a Hall of Famer. The same thing, is this is exactly what's happening to Kurt Schilling. He was John Smoltz for one of the best postseason pitchers that the sport has ever seen. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. Fred McGriff, one of the best power hitters of his generation, is not in baseball's Hall of Fame. Vern Stevens, one of the best hitting shortstops, played in the 1950s, is not in baseball's Hall of Fame. Ted Simmons, one of the best hitting catchers that the sport has ever seen, is not in its Hall of Fame. Jim Cott, Tommy John. Two very good pitchers that pitched a very long time. Tommy John, obviously, is going to be known forever because of the operation that Dr. Frank Joe performed on him. But, you know, he, he, he was on his way to 300 wins. Jim Cott, if it wasn't for the fact that he was forced into being a reliever the last five years of his career, would have won 300 games. He would have been in baseball's Hall of Fame. Al Oliver, his career ends after the 1985 postseason because of collusion that's going on between the owners. He's not allowed to play. If he gets another two seasons and gets 128 hits in each of those two seasons, he has over 3,000 hits, and there's no dispute over whether he's in the Hall of Fame. But if you ever want to see anything change from the process that we're seeing, and Harold Baines, unfortunately, is going to be a scapegoat for the fact that baseball has excluded its best players for the better part of the past 20 years. And there's other players that have gotten in. You know, Greg Maddox pitched in the steroids era. No doubt, he's a Hall of Famer. Randy Johnson, same thing. They played in the steroids era. Does it mean that they didn't do steroids? Frank Thomas didn't do steroids. Mike Piazza didn't do steroids. The problem is, is we don't know. But we've chosen to pick and choose which players it's okay to accept what they may or may not have done and other ones, we want to hold it against them as if we have a hold of their livelihood. Barry Bonds belongs in Baseball's Hall of Fame. I don't care what you say. I don't care how much you dislike Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is the best example of an immortal player that we have ever seen in our lifetimes. And unless you're old enough to see Ted Williams, unless you're old enough to see Mickey Mantle, Unless you're old enough to see Joe DiMaggio. Barry Bonds was an immortal friggin' player. A player that, up until he supposedly started doing steroids, was on the path to being baseball's Hall of Fame. 
And once again, he did something that many other players have done. And there's players in baseball's Hall of Fame that did the same exact thing. Roger Clemens won almost 200 games for the Boston Red Sox. If he didn't supposedly use steroids, would he have won 354 games over the course of his career? Maybe not. How much of an impact did that have on him? And how much of an impact did anybody that did steroids that's in baseball's Hall of Fame, how much did that have on the latter part of their careers? And once again, you can throw any name out there because we're all under the same suspicion. The fact that nobody knows for sure, whether it's a yes or a no, whether these players did or didn't use performance-enhancing drugs, means that we can't hold against them ones that we have more of a reasonable doubt against. What's to say if Hank Aaron or Willie Mays use performance-enhancing drugs over the course of their career? We know that they use amphetamines. What if you find out that they use PEDs? Would that change your judgment over your validity of them being Hall of Famers? Because it wouldn't change mine. Those are two of the best players that have ever played in a sport. Two of the top ten overall position players in Major League Baseball history, according to JohnPLA.com. It wouldn't change my opinion. If, if you found out that Babe Ruth did steroids, would that change the fact that he was the most immoral player, really, for the first hundred years of the sport? And one of the greatest players to ever exist in the world of sports? No. But now we want to judge, hey, Barry Bonds likely did steroids. Even we want to say, hey, he did steroids, he cheated. He was the first person in the history of the sport to cheat. He's the first person in the Hall of Fame in Major League Baseball to cheat. And unfortunately, you're looking at a lot of people that watched the great career of Barry Bonds, watched it go right before your eyes and missed it. We're never going to see another career like that again. You may be seeing it with Mike Trout. But what happens if Mike Trout continues his career, goes on the path that he is, becomes the next Mickey Mantle as an immortal player or as a mortal player as we're ever going to see before our own eyes in this generation and era? And decides to say, hey, in this Hall of Fame speech, yeah, I used you know, performance-enhancing drugs. They just never detected it. That's the other aspect of it, too. Because you know there's many examples of players that have used or are using that just never got caught. And it drives me crazy because baseball's Hall of Fame is a representation of what we consider the best sport in front of us. It's the greatest sport in the world, and sure, that's up to opinion. You may not believe me right now. You may not agree with me right now, and that's totally fine. But you're talking about the greatest sport in the world that is deciding to get political and decide, well, you know what? The numbers and the impact that those players had on the sports aren't enough. Did the writers like them? Think about it. Writers didn't want to put Eddie Murray in the Hall of Fame. The guy had... 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. Jim Rice, sure, more of a borderline candidate, but he was, a, he was borderline in. You look at his career, he didn't play a really long time. He was a Ralph Kiner. He was a Hank Greenberg, a guy that had a very good career for the time that he played. 
Albert Bell, for crying out loud. Look what he did over the course of the decade that he played. But what? The media doesn't like him. So we're going to hold Albert Bell back. We're going to hold Kurt Schilling back because of his political beliefs. Kurt Schilling was one of the best postseason pitchers that the game has ever seen. And in a postseason setup to where there's so many more games now, it means more for a pitcher to be that freaking dominant in a postseason. And Schilling was great. Why isn't he in baseball's Hall of Fame? Why are we talking about players and pioneers to the sport that we're not putting up there to acknowledge this great museum in Cooperstown? And you could talk about different things that happened over the course of the history of the sport, you know, whether it's uh, the perfect game ball thrown by uh, Philip Humber, a guy who's never going to get into baseball's Hall of Fame. They should have something separate for that. And they should have something that acknowledges all the Hall of Famers. The Hall of Fame should be for the Hall of Famers. And if you're going to hold back Barry Bonds and Pete Rose, you should hold back the merchandise that is in those respective Hall of Fames. Pete Rose was saying, you know, while he's promoting his book, there's about 40-something pieces of memorabilia over the career of Pete Rose in, a, in the Hall of Fame. If you don't want to acknowledge him as a Hall of Fame, and I know it's not the museum's fault, it's the, you know, the governing body, then you take that stuff out of there. People are going in because they want to see that stuff. You know what? Stop making profits off of it. It's a little bit ridiculous. So a reminder that Castro provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Last point we're going to make today talking about the World Boxing Organization and its first heavyweight champion that it acknowledged. And the reason that I find this different or interesting is because there is a handful of some of the best champions that we've had in the time that I was growing up. And I watched boxing and the reason that I'm so intrigued about boxing and its history is because I've watched it fall by the wayside right now. You can look at Andy Ruiz or Anthony Joshua or Tyson Fury. Really the best examples of the top heavyweight fighters that we've seen in this time and generation. And it's not that they don't have the draw that the Tysons and the you know Holyfields had during my youth. It's just that the, the sport has been so watered down. And it's like the credibility of the sport has been put a lot into question. And one of the things that put the credibility of this sport into question was the multiple different amount of titles and the different organizations that have gotten involved to acknowledge their own champion. And we understand that there's many different divisions in, in the sport of boxing, you know, whether it's weight classes or, you know, different types of competition that are involved for people of different weight. But the heavyweight division in boxing goes back to the 1800s. And the best champions that you could talk about that have ever existed in the sport were heavyweights. You talk about Jack Johnson, you know, Jack Dempsey, Rocky Marciano, the only undefeated heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Lewis. You obviously know about Patterson and Liston and Ali and Frazier and Foreman. Obviously to the days of Holmes and his reign and Tyson and Holyfield and Riddick Bowe and Lennox Lewis. And, and I still look at it and I look at Lennox Lewis as really the last great heavyweight champion that, that the sport has ever seen. 
And it's unfortunate because it takes a shot at the Klitschko brothers. And, you know, Vladimir Klitschko and the amount of times that he defended some form of the heavyweight title. But the sport has changed. And, you know, changed before our eyes to a point where I don't think it's ever going to recover. So the WBO, which comes out in 1989, has a heavyweight fight. And after this fight, acknowledges a champion by the name of Francesco Damiani, who, unless you are an absolute boxing historian, you have no idea who the hell that is. And the WBO is not being taken seriously. So it's not like any of the other organizations are like, hey, this is the champion that's holding the WBO belt. Let me make sure that we set up some fight with a you know one of our champions. Mike Tyson never fought Damiani. Evander Holyfield never fought Demiani. You know, Buster Douglas never fought Demiani. You know, Ray Mercer becomes the next WBO champion. He gets stripped of his belt. Michael Mora, Michael Moore, I'm sorry, ends up not being acknowledged as the WBO champion. He decides, hey, I, I, I don't want to fight for this championship anymore. I, I don't think it's as valid of a title. So he vacates it. And then guys like Tommy Morrison and Michael Bent, Herbie Hyde is a two-time WBO heavyweight champion. Does anybody know who the hell Herbie Hyde is? Riddick Bowe is, is the WBO champion. He vacates it because he wants he wants a different belt. Henry Akinwande, who at least I, I as a boxing fan could remember Henry Akinwande. At least I remember when he was a legitimate name in, in boxing. I didn't look at him as one of the best. He wasn't certainly wasn't a Bo or a Lewis or anybody in, in that type of category. But he at least was a big name. He vacates the belt. So, you know, the Klitschko brothers hold, hold the title. Okay. But you look at guys like Corey Sanders, Lehman Brewster, Shannon Briggs. You know who wasn't the WBO champion? George Foreman, Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield. So you want to point to a turning point when the boxing's heavyweight division has lost some credibility. It could be around the time of the creation of the World Boxing Organization's version of the heavyweight championship. Because it's been nothing but a joke. Sure, you look at the heavyweight champions now, and you know whether it was Anthony Joshua or Andy Ruiz, those guys are acknowledged as being the WBO heavyweight championship. Maybe it's finally normalized after 20-something years. But you look at everything that happened from the days of Don King to the corruption, to the emergence of other fighting sports, you know, UFC, MMA, these sports would not have been given the format and the form to succeed if it wasn't for the destruction of boxing and particularly the heavyweight division as we know it. If it wasn't for the corruption that was involved in the sport. So many different boxing organizations trying to acknowledge its own champion. It would not allow for ultimate fighting and MMA fighting to succeed and have the fandom and the attention that it has right now. A little bit of a recap of the show today. We talked a little bit about baseball's Hall of Fame and 
how something does have to change. You know, you look at the players that played in the steroids era. Some are in, some are essentially blackballed. You know, Pete Rose, there's a fear that Pete Rose will evolve himself in baseball again if he's uh, put back in the game or reinstated. Joe Jackson's been off this planet. He's been dead for 60 years. I think it's time to right some wrongs with this. But not just with the players that played during the steroids era, not just with the players that were associated with gambling, but for pioneers such as Marvin Miller and Frank Job and Ted Turner. And players that have been forgotten about, that had great careers like Vern Stevens and Fred McGriff and Ted Simmons, Vita Blue, Minnie Minoso, Dick Allen, Jim Cott, Al Oliver, Tommy John. These are all players that are deserved of being in baseball's Hall of Fame, and not just because Harold Baines is in. And it's a shame that Harold Baines has become a scapegoat for what is wrong with the Hall of Fame process. And Harold Baines deserves to be treated much better. We also had a chance today to speak about the separation between sports and life. And it doesn't get brought up too much because I think so many people are like, hey, you know, I want to be a multitasking or a multi-talented person. I could be a great athlete, but I also want to show that I know things about life. That I could be a philosopher, that I could be a politician. And it comes to a point where you are identified by what it is that you do. And nobody's going to go to the butcher counter and ask a butcher who's cutting their T-bone steak what they feel about the upcoming presidential election and really care. And if that guy's viewing or that woman is viewing their political opinion, that person that's shopping in that store is going to say, I came here for my T-bone steak. I didn't come here for your political beliefs. And the same thing applies to the world of sports, whether it's athletes deciding, hey, this is what I am or this is what I want to talk about. They have to understand that the people that are acknowledging them for what it is that they accomplished as athletes want to hear sports stories. They want to hear where you came from. They want to hear you talk about yourself. And the same thing applies to sports writers. If you're known as a sports writer, you have a Twitter account with a blue check mark by it because of your coverage of sports. Nobody wants to hear you talk about anything else that's not sports. They want to hear about as much as what you saw at the traffic light when it was turning from yellow to red as they want to hear about anything else that doesn't involve sports. So when we talk about stick to sports, it sounds like it's an evil thing to say to tell people, hey, you're nothing but an athlete. But when it comes to the perception and what you're remembered for and what your fans want to see, it's better that people that are involved in the world of sports stick to sports. And it's not that they're not smart enough to talk about anything else. Once again, it's about the acknowledgement of what they are and what they do. I don't want to hear from a police officer what they feel about the upcoming weather forecast. I want them to continue to do their job to protect us. I want them to be the best police officers that they could possibly be. That bank teller that's taking my money and depositing it for me. I don't want them to talk about their opinions of, you know, uh, global warming. I don't care about 
global warming from a person that's a bank teller. I'm sorry. Stick to what it is that you do. And it's unfortunate that we don't look at it that way, but for people that become fans of you, and maybe, listen, maybe you have nobody that, that, that is a fan of you. Maybe it's just, you know, your family, your friends, and that's it. You don't have a larger audience. There's a responsibility that's involved in having a large audience because those people are not coming to you because they necessarily like you, because they're necessarily related to you, because they're necessarily a friend to you. They're being drawn to you because of what it is that you do. This show, I talk about sports. I expect people that are following this show, and I'm thankful for everybody that is, to come here for the sports. I think it's time that we all acknowledge that and start putting out on a public forum things about what it is that we do. Not your opinion about politics. Not your opinion on any of the issues that are going on in the world. Because sports, once again, is a sanctuary. It's a sanctuary from everything that divides us. Everything that makes life a little bit tougher. Talked about the WBO, the joke of the heavyweight championship that that's been. Existed since 1989. Didn't acknowledge Mike Tyson or Buster Douglas or Evander Holyfield or Lennox Lewis or George Foreman throughout the, the 1990s and early 2000s. What kind of heavyweight championship is that if those guys were never your champion? If the WBO existed before that, it might not have acknowledged Ali. It might not have acknowledged Joe Lewis or Rocky Marciano or Jack Johnson or Jack Dempsey. What a joke. Glad to be with you as always. This is, once again, the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. If you happen to be in the Scranton, Pennsylvania area, there's only one food truck. It's called Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located on Naog Avenue and Green Ridge Street. The number is uh, 570-800-8115. They set up a couple times a week. Great menu, which if you like their page on Facebook, to the number two, W-A-Y-Z, Passion I'm sorry, two ways, one passion. Number two, W-A-Y-Z, O-N-E, passion, food truck. Check it out today. We'll be back with you next week, maybe Wednesday. Like I said, enjoy your trading deadline coming up in the world of baseball, whether your team's a buyer or a seller. Um, I'm actually believing there's going to be less deals this time around. I think a lot of teams, particularly the National League, believe that they're in it. You look at a team like the New York Mets, who obviously frustrate the heck out of me, day in and day out because you know there's some talent there. You know, are they going to go full, you know, uh, Tug Speedman and decide to rip rip it down, trade Syndergaard? I'll tell you, if they make a deal like that, they just better get it right. I don't care who they get in return if they decide to make a deal like that, but they just better get it right. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.